entire life of the Christian is a life of repentance. As we said in our last discussion, uh, Luther believed that every day the Christian comes before God, conscious of his or her sinfulness once again, and receives the gospel that restores to life. The medieval church had uh, recognized uh, that that need to confess sin and to receive absolution in the sacrament of penance. What was the medieval practice, and how did Luther use it, react to it? Uh, did he discard parts of it? Uh, well, as you indicated, there is a long history behind here. I think reaching back to uh, the year 80-12-15 and the Fourth Lateran Council, uh, it was mandated that every Christian had to go to confession at least once a year. Uh, generally, I believe, around the time of Easter. Now, this had a couple beneficial effects, I suspect. One, it did provide an opportunity for the priest to meet with every Christian at least once a year and engage in pastoral care, of which confession and absolution was a part. Uh, secondly, though, it also provided an opportunity for a certain amount of catechesis or instruction um, uh, and maybe a little examination in terms of the faith life of the uh, individual Christian. Uh, as the practice moved on through the Middle Ages, it would vary from place to place and I suspect from priest to priest. But generally, because sin was conceived in terms of individual actions that we perform um, voluntarily as an act of the will. Uh, confession was seen as a laying out or listing of all of one's individual sins. And so there arose an entire genre of books, confessional manuals, uh, sometimes for the priest, sometimes for the lady. These confessional manuals would list the sins and almost maybe here's something of a checklist. Uh, these sometimes were called mirrors uh, because they allowed a person to see him or herself in it in terms of the sins. Uh, when they walked through the Ten Commandments, these lists would be laid out in terms of ways we keep the Ten Commandments, ways we transgress the Ten Commandments. But generally it was argued that a Christian had to confess every single sin that he or she committed because unconfessed sin was unforgiven sin. Mm -hmm. If a Christian did not uh, confess a particular sin, the priest could not identify the appropriate uh, penance that they had to carry out uh, in order to be absolved. And by Luther's day, this is where some of those terrors of the conscience come in about which Luther will talk, uh, namely the fear that is there some sin I have forgotten about? Is there some sin I have not confessed? Um, if there is, that means I have not received forgiveness for that sin, which in turn means um, my salvation is in uh, jeopardy. Now about the baby in the bathwater. So. Okay. And so... Uh, did Luther discard, for the most part, that system? Did he uh, throw baby and bathwater out? 
Well, that seems like it would have been a reasonable response. In other words, uh, given the tortures of the conscience that the practice of confession provided. After all, when you think about it, the priest really did function something as an inquisitor, judge, and executioner. You know, inquisitor in terms of uh, probing deeper and deeper into uh, maybe secret sins or sins that a person was unaware of. Uh, judge in terms of prescribing the appropriate uh, penance that an individual had to perform and um, executioner in terms of um, laying it out for them uh, in order to be absolved. So it would seem a reasonable response to say, given the uh, abuses of the practice, just throw it out. Some reformers did. And some did. But Luther doesn't. Uh, instead, he chooses to revise it. In fact, some of his earliest catechetical writings, reaching back to uh, 1518 and 1520 in particular, were written with a view toward being a confessional manual. In fact, a, a number of segments ago when you mentioned with regard to the ordering of the chief parts that the Ten Commandments diagnoses our sin, the creed provides us with the cure for sin and the Lord's Prayer, how do we take it? Well, that was um, in view of going to confession and absolution. So Luther wrote some of his earlier catechetical pieces really as confessional manuals. Uh, so he doesn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Instead, he chooses to revise the entire practice in a much more evangelical and gospel-centered way so that the focus is less on the confession of particular individual sins and much more on uh, absolution. Uh, so that rather than thinking in terms of private confession, one might actually think more in terms of uh, receiving private absolution. Though he doesn't ignore the confession of sins, does he? No, not at all. But in his brief form for confession and absolution uh, that he includes in the catechism itself, I think we get a pretty good window into how he reconceived not only the theology of confession and absolution, but the practice of it as well. Hmm. For example, the very opening words of his brief form have the penitent coming to the pastor or the confessor and to some extent announcing the terms of the contract between them. Namely, I am coming to confess my sins and receive absolution. The only thing that the pastor then does is say, fine, <laughs> proceed. Um, at which point Luther then advises the Christian to uh, make confession of their sins in light of their vocation, uh, using the Ten Commandments as something with standards. So whether one is a father or a son, a mother or a daughter or an employer or an employee, uh, given the, your vocation in life, your particular walk of life, uh, what do the Ten Commandments have to say to you about how you conduct yourself within that walk of life? Actually, that's the pattern we're going to see when we get to the table of Christian table callings of as we reflect back on the Ten Commandments. I hope I'm not stating your thunder at this point. Not at all. Uh, but it's interesting that that, that framework for life that, that 
uh, Luther sketches in the whole catechism actually comes into the text here in Confession yeah. and Absolution. And I suspect it's because he doesn't want Christians to worry about having to uh, invent some imagined sins mm -hmm. or to think of sins only in terms of those extraordinary duties that a Christian is to perform, um, again, that are invented in large part uh, by Christians who think, well, in order to serve God, I must have to do something extraordinary for him that goes above and beyond the ordinary mundane things of everyday life. So once again, uh, Luther is grounding them in creation and mm -hmm. the uh, walks of life that God set up within creation. Now as we move on through his uh, brief template, little template mm -hmm. for confession and absolution, he actually will go on and say, well, if you can't actually think of any specific sins, uh, which he suspects is doubtful, but supposing that one can't, that then one should at least provide a general confession of sin um, and maybe confess one or two sins, but if you can't even think of that, at least make some uh, general confession. I think there's a desire on his part to uphold the role that absolution plays in the place of it. So he doesn't want the individual focusing so much on himself or herself and their spiritual condition. Uh, there's no need to go off to a, a mountaintop and reflect and spend two weeks uh, reflecting on one's inner condition or spending all that time in introspection. Instead, he wants to fasten the Christian's attention upon uh, the word of God, in this particular case, uh, the word of absolution. So, at least make a general confession of your sin, after which then the pastor basically asks, do you believe that my absolution is uh, the word of God absolving you? That seems like a kind of strange question. Um, why is the priest uh, hung up on that? Well, I suspect it's because Luther wants people to realize that, yes, God does forgive us, but he does, through, he does forgive us through human voices and through human words. In other words, uh, it's not a situation where we suddenly hear this voice coming out of heaven mm. or suddenly perhaps have a warm inner feeling within ourselves, leaving us to, conclu to conclude, well, maybe I'm forgiven now. Uh, but rather that God works through external means, just as in creation he creates life through parents and sustains life through food and clothing, so God delivers forgiveness through human beings and through human voices. And so by the pastor asking, do you believe that my word is God's word, my forgiveness is God's forgiveness, he's able to highlight that. I also think that Luther's entire template here uh, highlights, you might say, a new job description uh, for the pastor <laughs> that may not be um, explicit or readily apparent. Uh, but in a sense, you have a new job description for the pastor because he's not there any longer as inquisitor, judge, and executioner. Mm -hmm. He's not there to pry into all of our sins. He's not there to judge it in the sense of determining 
the kind of penance we have to do, the recompense we have to render, the uh, payments we have to make in order to remove the temporal punishments of our sin. He's not the executioner to make sure that we carry it out before he absolves us. Instead, the pastor is basically there as uh, God's uh, forgiveness man. Uh, he's there simply to deliver the gifts of God to the penitent. Uh, to, in this case, to deliver the forgiveness of sins. And so the entire focus of confession absolution is much less on the penitent, the person looking inward upon their sins, and much more outward to the forgiveness that the pastor delivers. So for Luther, confession absolution may go something like this. In confession, all we're doing is saying, Lord, take my sins, all of them, and get them out of my sight. Remove them as from me as far as the east is from the west. I don't want them anymore. You can have them emptying our hands and God then placing into our hands the gift of salvation accomplished by Christ and won for, uh, won for us by Christ. Uh, namely, God being there uh, to announce and deliver the benefits of Christ to us, in this case, uh, through the words of a pastor or fellow Christian. And then Luther says at the end, um, a confessor, by using additional passages of Scripture, will in fact be able to comfort and encourage to faith those whose consciences are heavily burdened. In other words, the word of forgiveness is part of a larger conversation that we uh, help happen um, by bringing much more of the word of God uh, to this central word of forgiveness. Yes, uh, God provides a wide variety of ways of delivering that forgiveness. One would include meditating on the word. Mm -hmm. uh, absolution isn't the only way. Um, absolution does have the advantage, especially in a one-on-one -on -one context, of uh, personalizing in such a way that when the individual hears the word of forgiveness, that person can't look around and say, no, well, God doesn't mean me. It's got to apply to the other people around me in the congregation. Well, this is a way of saying, no, this is for you. And the uh, other Bible passages that confirm and support it provide uh, additional ways by which God converses with his uh, children uh, to strengthen that faith and remove doubt uh, regarding the forgiveness that Christ has obtained. Um, so, uh, in a sense... Uh, what Luther has done in this part of the catechism is to sum up his entire distinction of, of law and gospel. The, the word of the law comes to bring us to confess our sins, but as C.F.W. Walther tells us, law and gospel aren't properly distinguished unless the gospel predominates. And so we have just been hearing how the gospel really predominates in Luther's explanation of absolution. In that sense, confession and absolution uh, as an echo of this uh, daily drowning in, in repentance, all of our sinfulness and, and being raised up by the Holy Spirit to live out the life that God has given us as his children. Uh, that whole framework is the pattern and basis uh, for uh, our entire living 
of the life we have in Jesus Christ.